0: I appreciate Pastor Chris preaching such a powerful message last week, and today we're coming to our second last in our series through the New Testament letter, First Peter, written by, of course, Peter. And today we're going to talk about suffering as a Christian. Wow. Now, some of us may think going to church on Time Change Sunday is suffering as a Christian, but Peter will take it just a little farther than that. He's just finished saying in the middle of 1 Peter 4, the end of all things is near. So we ought to pray and love and serve. We ought not to be passive as a lot of people accuse Christians who look forward to Christ's second coming as being. We're not passive. And then immediately he picks up in the next verse uh, a section that will take us all through the last half of 1 Peter chapter 4, where he says in verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And sometimes you will hear that if you suffer as a Christian, there's something wrong with you. You don't have enough faith. I've heard it taken as far as that, that Peter and Paul w- would have never been persecuted if they had enough faith. Now, well, Peter seems to disagree with that here. He says, don't, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Now he's writing to churches that are scattered through what we would call present-day Turkey. And Paul's write, Peter's writing from Rome at this time. And Nero is the emperor. And I don't know if his word fiery, we don't know if it was related. It would be kind of code for what was starting to happen in, to Christians in Rome. Uh, persecution of Christians wasn't a, a a Roman Empire policy quite yet. But the heat was being turned up, and and part of Rome had burned, and Nero uh, blamed the Christian community for the fire in Rome, and uh, so he would capture Christians, cover them in pitch, and light them, and they'd burn alive as torches in the streets and in his gardens. Maybe there was an allusion to that, but this wasn't yet widespread persecution, but it was ramping up. And... Peter mentioned the same thing in chapter one. Don't, you know, this, this, this is that's come upon you, that's causing you to suffer. We don't have the details. But he said, do not think that you're suffering because something's wrong with you. But, verse 13, rejoice inasmuch as you, get this, you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So when his glory is revealed, that's when Jesus comes again. That's going to bring perspective on all our present suffering. And uh, your, your suffering is temporary, but your suffering anticipates the victory. Your suffering may feel like you're being dominated and victimized by evil and by people who hate Jesus and hate the church. But but in a way, it, it's just the holdout until you know, the real victory. I just remind you the real victory is coming. And so he said, you are participating. He said, you actually should rejoice that you are participating in the sufferings of Jesus. Now, Jesus suffered to take our sin on himself. We don't suffer for that reason. Jesus suffered to bring us to God so we could be forgiven. Then he rose again and put his resurrection spirit in us. That's how you become a Christian. But the the fact is still that Jesus suffered. And Jesus himself said, you need to take up your cross. Not that you're going to die for somebody else's sins like he did. Only he did that. But the fact is, as Peter actually says in chapter 2, if Jesus suffered, that, that, that's our marching order. We should suffer too. Jesus said, you, you're going to pay a price to follow me. There's going to be some suffering. You're going to actually participate in my sufferings. Um, saw a glimpse of that again in in a story I recently read, about 125 years ago in Eastern Europe, uh, the Muslim Turks were seriously, severely persecuting Armenian Christians. And the Armenian Christians, uh, had converted to Christ a few years earlier, and 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 the the Muslims had base the Muslim Turks had basically uh, perpetrated genocide. I mean, tens of thousands of Armenian Christians were killed for their faith, and. Uh, there was one young 18-year-old girl, however, that escaped um, because she got news of an American camp being nearby. And James and Marty healthfully in their book, By Their Blood, recounted, she came into this town and into this camp, having escaped, and she was talking to a nurse, and a nurse was trying to check her out, how you doing, and the girl pulled down her sleeve, and, and on her shoulder was burned the image of a cross, I mean burned in her flesh. And, and here, here's, I'll put it on the screen, here's what she said. I was caught with others in my village and the Turks stood me up and asked, Mohammed or Christ? I said Christ, always Christ. For seven days they asked me the same question and each day when I said Christ, a part of the cross was burned into my shoulder. On the seventh day, they said, tomorrow, if you say Muhammad, you will live. If not, you die. Then, it was then that we heard the Americans were near and some of us escaped. But that is how I learned the meaning of the cross. It's a very profound statement. Part of the meaning of the cross is not only we're we're forgiven and life gets better for us, But part of the meaning of the cross is that we, like Jesus, suffer as well. So that I learned the meaning of what it is to take up the cross and to follow him. And I'm sure she was screaming while they were each day burning more of the cross in her arm. But she was learning to participate in the sufferings of Christ. And so Peter now is going to unpack this rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So in the next few verses, he's going to unpack this by giving us the right reason to suffer when it comes to persecution and the wrong reason to suffer. There are some wrong reasons to suffer. And then he's going to, interestingly enough, give us a prophetic reason to suffer, although he won't deal with the entire breadth of suffering as a Christian. He'll tell us that. The right reason, the wrong reason, the prophetic reason, and then he's And then he's going to conclude with one powerful verse. So that's where we're going to go today. All right, you ready? The right reason to suffer. Very next verse. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That 18-year-old girl probably didn't feel very blessed being tortured. But from God's perspective in the big picture, there's something of the strength and presence of God that comes. And And if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, that's the right reason to suffer. Jesus said, they hated me, so don't be surprised. They're going to hate you as well. But if because of the name of Jesus, because you're a Christian, you're being persecuted and you're being insulted and harmed, uh, you can count yourself blessed because God's on your side. And the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Peter had actually referenced one aspect of this in the first part of this same chapter, chapter four, back in verse three. And he says, speaking of what before they met Christ, he says to these Christians, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry that that marked your life before you came to Christ and let me just state the obvious when you become come to Christ he wants to work freedom and holiness in your life those things are worldly things and God wants to move you from worldliness to holiness and those things don't belong in our lives as Christ's followers but before we met Christ i mean just we were just bent on pleasure seeking I mean, we, we were bragging on Monday mornings at work about how drunk we got Saturday night and who we slept with that weekend and and and, and we were finding ourselves addicted and, and just out of control. And he said that's the way it used to be. But he said, they, now he's talking to them as Christians, he said, your friends who still do that, they're surprised that you do not join with them in their reckless while living and they heap abuse on you. They heap abuse on you. Because they just don't get you anymore. I mean, he, Peter's saying to some of these people, there was a day you could party with the best of them. But now that you become a Christian, you, you've lost some of your friends. They don't wanna hang around you. I mean, they, they think you're some kind of holier than thou saint thing, and, and, and they just think you're just trying to be better than everybody else. And, you actually make them feel bad. You make them feel convicted because they know something's wrong in their lives and there's a better way to live. And and he said, he said, they will heap abuse on you. And so that's why he, he says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you know, in a way, you're blessed. And this not only happened, this happens to me. I remember, I remember being in graduate school. My closest friend in graduate school was not a Christian, but he and his wife would actually invite me over for Thanksgiving when I couldn't get home and I was alone in the dorms. And, and uh, uh, it was interesting, Thanksgiving. We'd eat turkey together. And then instead of watching football, we'd do homework <laughs> together because we were just desperate for a few more hours to, to catch up before finals. But um, I, about a year later, he with some of his friends turned on me one day. and They just literally heaped insults on me. And I, I still remember how painful it was for my good friend to turn on me. And they turned on me because I was a Christian. They started making fun of what I believed and what I stood for and how stupid I must be. And, and these things happen. I mean, you, this room is probably full of people that have lost friends now that you've come to Christ. Because you don't do it with them like you used to do it. And they don't, they don't have any category but worldliness to put that in. But it's not just us personally, but it's globally this is happening more than ever. The persecution of the church. Uh, two years ago, Christianity Today wrote an article, 50 Countries Where It's Most Dangerous to Follow Jesus in 2021. And and they say this in the article, the listed nations contain 309 million Christians living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution, up from 260 million in the last year's list. So 49 more million people living where it's dangerous to be a Christian. Persecution is growing. This year, they write the top 10 worst persecutors are relatively unchanged. After North Korea, it's Afghanistan, followed by Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea. I, I know a guy who's still in prison after 20 years in Eritrea. I know him personally. Pray for him, prayed for him this past week. Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India. China topped the top 20 for the first time in a decade due to ongoing and increasing surveillance and censorship of Christians and other religious minorities. By the way, we renounce the oppression of any religious minorities, whether it be Muslim Uyghurs in China or Christians in Libya. But it seems like persecution of Christians is the most global phenomenon, and it's been going on for two centuries now. But Peter said, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. It's an honor to be insulted for the name of Christ. It's an honor to take up the cross and pay a price because you won't deny Christ. Well, Peter's then gonna just clarify something and say, now there's some wrong reasons to suffer. Here, you can suffer for the wrong reason if you're not careful. And, and so in the very next verse he said, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. We're not sure what meddler means, it could be translated busybody, but some scholars think it has to do with some kind of criminal activity. Um, he said, now, now you, you messing up, and you doing criminal things, uh, and you having to pay the price for it, I mean, don't, don't moan, you know. But he's also saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, Those are not the reasons you suffer because you just live and act like the world. You you don't do that. And whenever you're dead, I always think of of Proverbs 19.3. I'll just put it on the screen quick. It said, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. I mean, I'm going like, what's up with that? I mean, your own folly, your own sinful decisions mess your life up And then you end up just blaming God, because pain always lies to us. Your pain will say there is no God or he doesn't love you, otherwise you wouldn't be experiencing this, or else your pain just flat out makes you angry. And you get angry at yourself, it causes depression, you get angry with other people, breaks up your relationships, interferes with your social network, and you just keep going down, down, that negative downward spiral, or When push comes to shove, you're ultimately just angry with God. You know, a person's own folly leads to ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. It it can become totally irrational. And he says, you know, God wants you to walk the way of holiness. He doesn't want you suffering because you're just walking outside of his will. You just keep rebelling against him. You just keep going your own way, and you're suffering the consequences because of it. we don't suffer for that reason. We suffer for the right reason, And that's because we are associated with the name of Christ. We're going to suffer for the wrong reasons, so don't do that. But interestingly enough, he said you can also suffer for a prophetic reason, a prophetic reason. Because he goes on, however, the however is there, you know, don't suffer for the wrong reasons. However, if you suffer as a Christian, If you suffer as a Christian, if you suffer because you're staying true to God, if you're suffering because you're not living the party life anymore and your friends don't like it, if you suffer because, you know, you just won't compromise your morals and do things illegal under the table at work and it costs you your job, if you suffer as a Christian because people hate you because they hate Jesus, If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, the word Christian is used in the Old Testament only three times, can you believe that? Only three times. And uh, it was initially coined by those who are hostile towards Christians. It means you're a Christian, and the Christ was the one who died a shameful death. Being crucified, was was for criminals and slaves and it had incredible shame. If you were crucified, shame was the last thing written over your memory. And, And so they used the word Christian as a way of mocking Christians, of deriding Christians. Like you are followers of a crucified guy. I mean, who would ever be that foolish to follow a shamed crucified guy? But Peter said, and he uses the word Christian, For only the third time in the New Testament. The other two times are in the book of Acts where we find find enemies of Christ first calling followers of Christ Christians. Don't be ashamed. I mean, crucifixion has shame associated with it. But you, you don't need to be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Praise God. And then he, and here's the prophetic piece. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So here he's speaking prophetically about the final judgment. And he's saying before the final judgment comes to the world, God's gonna first judge his church. Now our sins are forgiven by his blood, but all of us know we're pretty broken people. We're messed up. And, and sometimes, you know, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, sometimes you take communion, you take the bread and the cup, but, but you're harboring hate towards other people and you're celebrating Jesus' forgiveness for you, but you won't forgive other people. And he actually says some of you are sick and you've died because of the judgment of God upon you because you take communion in the wrong way. We, we see this elsewhere in scripture where, where God disciplines us so that we may be like him. This, this is the formation of God's work in spirit in our lives. I, I, like, I, like the way, I like the way David Brooks in the New Year's Times put it. He said, we shoot for happiness, but it's hardship that forms us. When we look back, we think of happy times in our lives. But it's not happy times that usually form us. It's, it's the hard times that shape us. And, and Peter is saying... People are persecuting you for your identification with Jesus, and you are suffering, but God's allowing it because, in a sense, you're feeling his judgment right now because he wants to keep shaping you. He wants to keep cleaning your life up. He wants to keep disciplining you. He wants to keep reminding you that your pathway needs to be the pathway of holiness and not the pathway of worldliness. And so... Your, your suffering right now is, is a form of the judgment of God. But the judgment of God, which starts at the house of God, he says, is only a prophetic reminder that in the end, God's going to bring his judgment on the wicked. And they may be dominating you now, those who hate Jesus. But in the end, your suffering now is just a reminder that judgment's going to come. And then to bolster that point, he quotes from Proverbs 11 in the next verse, verse 18. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And, and we, we do experience the judgment of God in our lives. I just believe God's sending spiritual awakening to America. And have you noticed all the headlines in the last year of, of famous pastors that are been exposed as having double lives? Have you just noticed in your own life that that, that, that you've got compromise in your life. There's secret places you're rebelling against God, but for the life of you, it's bringing you no fun and no joy, and, and it's just making your life more miserable. Listen, God is cleaning up his church before he sends renewal and he comes again. I believe God wants to send America one more spiritual awakening. We're starting to feel the winds of it with things even happening in this last month, but God... Is also cleaning up his church. Judgment starts with us. God's not gonna play with our worldliness and our rebellion and our carelessness. And, and suffering, even if we're suffering because of persecution, it becomes God's tool to keep forming us into Christ likeness, not worldliness. And as a result, um, we're shaped to be like Jesus while at the same time we're reminded. reminded that judgments coming to the world and in Proverbs says hard for the unrighteous if it's hard for the righteous to be saved what does that mean you know it's hard most people don't get saved most people in every nation I know do not follow Jesus most people in my neighborhood do not follow Jesus because it's hard to humble yourself it's hard to admit you need a Savior it's hard to take your addictions and your secret idols and your secret loves and renounce them for the cause of Christ. And it's hard to take up the cross and the, participate in the suffering of Jesus and pay the price to go against the grain and against the wind. It's hard to do that. And so most people don't do that. But he said "If it's hard for even the righteous to be saved. How much more will the ungodly and sinner not experience the judgment of God? So even our suffering right now is a prophetic window into God's purposes. So there's a right reason to suffer. There's a wrong reason to suffer. And there's a prophetic reason we suffer. But the question is, where do we go from there? I mean, where do we go from here? And Peter is going to resolve it. It's the last verse of chapter 4. The next verse, in matter, as a matter of fact. So then, verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, part of my last point is going to be in a minute, us standing, and I just really feel we need to pray for the global persecuted church this morning, as well as praying for our own lives. So we're going to do that in a minute. But I love this verse. It's God's version of rinse and repeat. <laughs> So what do we do? So what do we do? You you commit yourself to a faithful creator, your faithful creator, and you just keep on. You just continue. Those two words: commit and continue. Just commit and continue. Then commit and continue. The problem is with the English word here translated commit; it doesn't mean try harder. It means literally it means entrust. Like if you go to a financial manager. You're going to entrust your money for them to manage your finances. Uh, Sandy and I own a safe deposit box with some of our most valuable documents in it. And we have entrusted it to a bank in town to keep it safe in their vault. You entrust. He's saying, entrust your life to your creator. I mean, who better to entrust your welfare? Entrust. People make fun of you. They don't understand why you don't party with them anymore. Uh, You you get your feelings hurt. I mean, trust your reputation. Entrust your well-being. Entrust your welfare to the God who actually created you. And not only that, He's your faithful creator. Entrust yourself to your faithful. Commit your reputation. Commit your well-being. Commit your life into the hands of the one who created you in the first place. I don't know anywhere safer to be in your life. I mean, they may burn crosses in your arms, who knows what they do, but you've entrusted yourself to a faithful creator no matter what you suffer for the sake of following Jesus. And then just continue. Just put your head down and keep going straight forward. Just continue.